everyone, welcome to the Unleashing Brilliance podcast. I'm your host, Janine Garner, and I've pulled together some of the greatest minds from around the globe to help inspire you to release your own brilliance into the world. Whether we are talking to entrepreneurs, business owners, or just some all-round awesome people, I can guarantee these conversations will help you start thinking about how you can create more impact in the work that you do. A mix of incredible interviews and my own personal musings, join me from wherever you are to begin the journey to unleashing your own brilliance into the world. Hi there, Janine Garner here, the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. Hello, hello, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast, and welcome back if you are one of our regular listeners. It's wonderful to see you again. So today's episode, we're delving into communication. How do you actually create clarity around what it is that you're actually wanting to say more effectively? How do you create clarity in the middle of uncertainty? And there's no doubt that right now, so many of us in our organizations, in our businesses, whether you're a business owner, whether you are an executive or a leader in organizations, are currently operating in interesting, challenging, ever-changing uncertain times. This post-COVID era is certainly throwing a whole load of new curveballs at us, isn't it? We are being challenged economically as a result of what is going on globally. And that economic challenge is impacting our businesses, the decisions that we make, as well as right down to the micro level of decisions we make in our businesses, in sorry, in our families. We're being challenged from a security perspective with all the unsettlement that's happening around the world. And there is no doubt that the continuous and relentless negative news cycle is drowning our eyeballs and our eardrums every single day. And the reality is that negative news cycle, that fear, that uncertainty, that complexity, that confusion ends up becoming part and parcel of the environment in which we are all trying to lead, to influence, and to build our businesses. And I think the ability to communicate with clarity in periods of uncertainty has become an increasing skill that we all need to develop and we all need to improve. And I guess the question to think about is, do you know what your default communication style is? This is something that we talk about in today's episode. And my guest, Leah Mether, talks through four distinct communication styles. And we discuss at length how each of those communication styles has its merits and also how each of those communication styles has the risk of working against you. And the more that we can identify our default communication style, the more then we can identify where we are successful in the way in which we communicate, but also when the tension exists or when there's friction or conflict or where we feel like we're getting stuck and we can't influence, we can't drive the change that we need in our businesses, how actually it might be down to the communication style that you have, that natural communication style. So let me introduce my guest today. Leah Mether is a communication specialist who helps make the people part of leadership and work life easier through the development of, in inverted commas, soft skills, which actually we know are actually really hard skills. Leah, I've known for a number of years now. I read her first book, Soft is the New Heart, How to Communicate Effectively Under Pressure. That book was published in 2019 and a finalist in the Australian Career Book of the Year Awards. And I had the honor of reading her manuscript, of her soon-to-be-published second book, Steer Through the Storm, How to Communicate and Lead Courageously Through Change. What's fascinating about this book is what she talks about is the fact that sometimes we are having to drive change, we're having to implement, we're having to influence, sometimes uh, in ways that we may not necessarily agree with, but it just has to be done. And that's what she talks about in this book, Steer Through the Storm. So she's known for her practical straight shooting style. You'll definitely hear that today. And Leah works with leaders and teams across Australia and across the world, teaching them how to communicate under pressure, how to manage conflict, how to build relationships of influence, and most importantly, how to lead courageously through change. 
And she has this very strong passion. Again, it comes across loud and clear on this episode that soft skills get hard results. And actually that no one is a perfect communicator, but actually that every single one of us can improve the way in which we communicate to provide much more clarity, much more engagement with the people around us. So make sure to enjoy this episode. If you love this episode, I'd love you to comment and to share what you love about it. If you've got any questions, just message me back and I will get those to Leah. And in the show notes, you can find how to reach out to Leah if you have any further questions. And also she has an amazing YouTube channel where she regularly posts her responses to Ask Leah questions. So she's essentially answering communication questions every single week directly on that YouTube channel. So enjoy today's episode where we talk all about communicating under pressure. Hello, Leah. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Hello, Janine. It is so great to be here. And hello to all of those listeners, wherever you're tuning in from. I know. I'm sure some are on beaches, some are on the way to work, some are down the road. But wonderful to have you here, a thought leader in the space of influencing through communication. And I know there are so many questions from our audience around how do I manage conflict? How do I get my idea across? How do I bring out the best in my team? And there's all of this lovely juicy stuff that we're going to be able to dig deep into in a little bit. So thank you again for letting me get you on the show and to put you on the hot seat of chatting a little bit more around communication. Now, before we get started, I'm always really curious about the background. And so Leah, can you tell our audience, where is it that you grew up? Where did life start for Leah? Life started for me in the same town I live in now, actually, and there's a bit of a story to that too. But I live in this gorgeous regional town, small country town in Gippsland in Victoria, so about an hour and a half east of Melbourne. And it's this beautiful little town beside a lake with the mountains coming up behind it, only about probably three or 400 people here, like a really tiny little town. But beautifully placed in that I'm not far from everything really from the beach from the snow from big towns from the city and I still get to live this beautiful idyllic community life with technology allowing me to work worldwide. Isn't it incredible how technology has changed the world for us? It's like, brilliant, we can work anywhere. And I often get a little bit green with envy at the amount of live music that you have in your world. You seem to be at music festivals every single time I jump online to see what you're up to. (laughs) I do. I love live music. I really... You know, I love everything that's outdoors. I love hiking and getting out in nature. And my favourite way to see live music is at music festivals. So, yes, you will often see me out and about on a weekend, either with my kids in tow or solo at a music festival somewhere. I just I love the energy. I love the creativity. It's a great way to spend your time, I think. Do you have a favourite time? Look, I don't. I've got a really eclectic taste. You look at my, you know, old school CDs or or my playlist on Spotify and it's really eclectic, but I do, I am partial to a bit of folk, a bit of folk, a bit of rock, but probably my favourite band to see live would be a great West Australian band called The Waifs. I think I have seen them close to 20 times live, would you believe, over the years. And, yeah, any band that really goes well in that live environment, I am there for. You are a raving fan, uh, Leah. So I'm curious if you've lived and breathed your little town for all of those years, so been there since childhood through to schooling, first jobs and doing what it is that you do now in terms of speaking and working with organisations to help them in this people communication space. How do you think your childhood actually contributed to the work that you're doing now? 
In a really big way, I'd have to say, I a lot of my family lives in this community as well. So my grandparents lived here, were very involved in the community, my parents as well. And when I say it contributed in a big way, a big part of the work I do now is about making a difference in people's lives. It's very community focused, helping other people be their best. And that community focus is what I grew up with. My grandparents were involved in a lot of volunteering and service clubs. My parents were as well. I am too. I'm on a whole raft of committees and have been since my early 20s. And it really did feed into that desire to help make a difference in whether it's in the microcosm of my little town or the big wide world through helping support people to develop their skills it really has influenced it. And I've got to say, I did a lot of travel through my 20s. I did a lot of solo travel around Australia and the world. And I think you go either way when you travel. You either go, I'm never going home again. I'm off to see the world forever. Or you do what I did and realise how lucky you've got it. I love travelling. I loved experiencing what the world has to offer. I'll do more of it. But it really did give me that realisation that geez, what I've got here is a pretty special thing. So that influenced it too. So you've had a wonderful and quite eclectic career too. I'm curious as to this thought leadership piece, this passion that you have around communicating effectively, of communicating well under pressure. Can you remember where, what was the trigger in the past that you went, oh my God, that's the wrong way of doing it, that set you on this course of exploring a better way to communicate and lead through pressure? Yeah, I think where it probably came from originally was my career started in journalism. I was a newspaper journalist and it was through that experience that I had to learn how to get people to open up, how to, you know, people would often leave an interview with me saying, I just shared way more than I planned to because you created an environment that felt really safe and I felt like I could trust you. And so people did often share with me their deepest, darkest secrets. And I always treated that with respect. I never, you know, I wasn't one of those journalists who went, ha someone's given me the scoop and I'm going to ruin their life by printing all of that. And it showed me then the power of building connection with people, building that trust to be able to get a mutually beneficial relationship, really, where I got what I needed and the other person felt safe to share that. I then went into corporate communications for a water corporation and I was in leadership there. And those relationship building skills, again, were at the fore. If I wanted people to help me, I had to be generous and help other people. I had to build those relationships of influence. But I was also in a male-dominated workplace, both in the water corp and I worked in the power industry as well. In those industries, I really learned the assertiveness to be able to stand up for myself when often a man in a more senior position would try to say, no, that's not how you do it, lovey, and to be able to stand up and challenge back in that space, whether it was in my community work, I led the amalgamation of our local football and netball club. There was a lot of resistance from some of the old footy guys who thought, why do we want to join up with the netball club? So again, it was using those negotiation, persuasion, influencing skills. When I started my business, initially I was working as a communications consultant, so I wasn't doing what I do now. But more and more I actually had people I worked with asking me how I did it. They would see how I communicated in a difficult situation or how I talked an angry person down and got them to de-escalate. And I kept having people say, how do you do it, Leah? How do you be more assertive? I would like to do that as well. And it's what made me realise that there was a need. People Communication underpins all human relationships and how well we do it really does make or break our success in all areas of life, whether it's in your marriage or relationship or in the workplace. So it was realising there was this big gap in people's skills because 
most of us are not taught at school how to communicate effectively. So we get into adulthood still winging it like we did at 15 for some people. And that's really what drove me doing what I do today, helping mm. teams right across Australia and the world to do the people bit more effectively, which is really the communication piece. Love that. And your point about communication underpinning all relationships could not agree more, whether it be in your own business, whether it be you're a leader in an organization, or even whether it be in family. And yeah, we're not necessarily taught that. And are you seeing that now, particularly as there is so much digital communication? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about my teenage kids where, you know, they have a phone, but they don't actually speak on the phone. It's all via text. Are you seeing the challenge when it comes to communication, given there are so many ways in which we can communicate? Are you seeing that there's an increasing need right now in business to actually use this or to learn this skill, right down to its basics, really, in terms of how how to do it? Oh, absolutely. There are people who hate talking on the phone. They wouldn't even know where to start to have a challenging conversation. I mean, one of the resources that I created for workplaces that I deal with is a modes of communication framework, which to use when, because a lot of us default to our preferred style of communication. And I've got to say, in a lot of workplaces, it's email. And you end up with people getting stuck in email ping pong for weeks when it could have been a five-minute phone call or being in a meeting that could have been an email. And we don't think, or a lot of people don't think, what mode of communication would be best here, let alone how do I go about it well. So there is so much to it. It's actually quite simple. It's not that complicated once you learn the skills, but it does involve putting a bit of thought in and consideration to how we do it. Couldn't agree more. I think when I look at so many of my clients who are trying to build more influence through their own business, you know, one of the things I talk to them about is it doesn't matter how much positioning you've got. It doesn't matter how much you are putting stuff out there or trying to sell your stuff. If you can't communicate and you can't connect on a human level, it's really hard to get that sales conversion piece happening. It comes back to the basics of really understanding the audience and what their problems are. Now, there's two books that you've written. I want to talk about the first one first, and then we'll go on to the second one. First book, Soft is the New Hard. Can't remember the subhead. What was the subhead again? How to Communicate Effectively Under Pressure. There you go. One of the things I love about that book is you ask the reader to essentially, well, you include some an audit in there, which basically helps the reader identify their natural communication style. And you write about how this default communication style is the thing that can serve you, but also work against you. Can you just tell us what those four styles are? And then what I'd love you to talk about is the one that you absolutely detest and the one that you are on a mission to get rid of. Absolutely. So we all communicate in different ways, depending on different situations, circumstance, the relationship we have with someone. But most of us have a default position that we revert to, particularly under pressure. Now, when a lot of people come to me, they say, Leah, help me communicate with other people, like give me the tips and tricks. And what I say to those people is, before I can suggest ways of communicating more effectively with other people, we've actually got to look inward and start with ourselves and get really honest about how we communicate. What is our go-to style? Because there's no point me sharing tips for one person on how to communicate with someone else if you're not aware of what you do now that is helping or hindering your success. So the four styles I talk about in that book are aggressive, passive aggressive and assertive communication. Assertive being the one we're aiming for to bring more of into our life. And just quickly there, assertive communication is so misunderstood by many people. They confuse it with 
aggressive and I'll explain the difference in a moment. But let's start off with aggressive actually. Aggressive communication, I win, you lose. I don't actually care, Janine, what you think or what you want to say here because I just want to get my point across. I'm right, you're wrong, my way or the highway, I'm a bull at a gate. A lot of us think the aggressive communicator has to be the loud, shouty person, but they don't. They can be, you can be unintentionally aggressive. You can do it with a smile, but if you always think you're right, if you don't listen to other people's opinions, if you steamroll people, jump in over the top, that old school command and control style leadership, it might not be your intention, but you might be perceived as aggressive by other people. And that's a problem because People might do what you ask out of fear and obligation, but they won't do it because they respect you or because they want to help you. So they'll do it when they have to, but the minute you need help that's a bit over and above, you need someone to stay back late at work or you need someone to do you a favour, they're unlikely to be there because you rely on fear and domination to get your way. Passive communication's the flip. I'm not going to speak up for myself or put forward my thoughts, opinions and beliefs. And Janine, you can just walk all over me because I'm not going to say anything. And you might walk all over me and give me the crap jobs because you know I'm not going to speak up. But what I see a lot of is people who are passive communicators and they do get walked all over, but they get walked all over because the other person doesn't realise that they feel strongly about something. So I might be upset because you asked me to do a task and in my head, if I'm a passive communicator, I can fall into the trap of wanting you to be a mind reader and I can get really mad thinking, Janine, you should know that would upset me. But of course, you're not a mind reader. How do you know if I haven't told you? The passive communicators apologise a lot. They talk themselves down. They use the word just a lot. You know, I'm just acting in this role or I'm just in admin or I'm just starting out. And if they're in a meeting environment, they often won't speak up. So they become complicit to poor decisions because other people might put forward an idea that you think is terrible, but you don't speak up. So you're going down for that decision as well. Can miss out on promotions. Really, all your genius stays trapped in your head. And unfortunately for our passive communicators, not only do they get overlooked, they often have big explosions of anger because they don't articulate their feelings and their needs. And that frustration builds and builds until they explode. Passive aggressive. It's my favourite to talk about because it's my least favourite to encounter. Because you see, aggressive communication does have a place. It has a place in an emergency situation. Janine, if you were going to stick your arm in a machine that was going to rip it off, I'm not using that moment to talk to you about safety. I'm saying stop and yank it back. That's aggressive communication used well. Passive has a place. There are times when I should speak less, let the other person speak up. That's a good thing. Passive aggressive is the one I suggest doesn't have a place. Passive aggressive is when I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with me. Oh, but I'm going to let you know. And I'm going to let you know through my actions and attitude. And that can look like me being very sarcastic, me saying things like, fine, whatever, why would I be angry anyway? I might say it in a sickly sweet tone of voice, but the real meaning of what I'm saying is very cutting. It can be manipulative. It can be smiling to your face and saying, Janine, that sounds like a wonderful idea. I love it. And then storming off and bitching behind your back. So it's very damaging. It totally erodes trust. In extreme cases, it's emotional abuse because it's the silent treatment, it's gaslighting. And then you've got assertive. And assertive is where I balance my needs and your needs. It's where I will speak up and put forward my thoughts, opinions and beliefs, but I do that with respect. And I appreciate that I have an opinion on what's right and you have an opinion on what's right. And those two things may be different and that's okay. And we can have a robust conversation and debate about an issue without attacking each other. That I know when to speak up, I know when to step down. 
and I can stay calm in a crisis. I can absolutely stand in my power and address poor behaviour, but I can do that without flying off the handle. Now, occasionally I go into a workplace and someone will hear that I do work in assertiveness and they'll say, oh, you know, Bob over there, he doesn't need assertiveness training. He's assertive enough. And usually for me, that's a little warning bell because if someone's saying, oh, they're assertive enough, it usually means that person's not actually assertive, they're aggressive, and we've confused the two. Mm. I've rambled a lot there, but that's in a nutshell. So are you inspired to step up, to take massive action in your own business? Maybe you're feeling like the world's best kept secret and a little bit invisible right now. Or maybe you're frustrated at your lack of progress and want to win more at work and succeed more in life. Maybe it's about being ready to welcome more sales and more profit finally into your business. If you're interested in finding out more about my work, check me out on all the usual social platform suspects or email me at support at and let's set up a time to chat about how I can help you. I love it. I want to ask two questions with it. First of all, whilst we're on the assertive piece, and I think you write about this in your book, I know I come across this a lot in the work that I do with my clients, where, you know, you mentioned they're standing in your power. I talk about owning your power. I'm curious what your perspective is on, I don't mean to pull the gender car, but I'm going to, on the fact that I find that there is this really interesting line and whether it's an internal voice conversation or whether it's a reality around women stepping into their power and becoming more assertive that actually in that environment that they're in, it's not necessarily identified as a positive. It's labeled as, what do we label it as? We label it as, yeah, aggressive. So I'm curious, because I'm sure there's people listening to this around the world where they're listening to it and going, yeah, that's me, I'm assertive, but I have this constant pushback where people are seeing it as aggressive, but actually I'm just having an opinion. I'm putting forward my ideas. What, What suggestions do you have for them? Okay, a couple of points here. On the gender issue, you're spot on. There's some great research out of the United States that shows in male leaders, we want them to be competent first. And if they're warm and nice, that's a bonus. In female leaders, we want them to be warm and nurturing first, competent second. And this is an unconscious bias that women have towards other women as well. We'll often see women criticise a female boss saying, oh, she's a bit of a bitch, when they would not say the same thing about a male boss who was behaving the same way. So absolutely there is something to that, 100%. You do raise an interesting point and I think it's important for us to understand that our intention and someone else's perception of us can be two different things. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong, but it is something we have to reflect on. I want to give you a quick story that highlights this. I was brought into a workplace to help a leader have a conversation with a member of her team who was accused of being very aggressive. And this woman, in her mind, she was assertive. She could not see why anyone would perceive her as aggressive, but it wasn't one person perceiving her as aggressive. The whole team did. And it does raise an interesting point because it might be that your intention is to be assertive and in your mind you are assertive, but you do have to take an interest in other people's perceptions of you. Sure, sometimes they might have it wrong and there might be a gender bias and, you know, if a man was doing the same thing, no, they wouldn't be seen as aggressive. So there could be that. But I just caution people not to dismiss other people's perceptions. It's worth getting curious about it because even if it's not my intention to be aggressive, if everyone else experiences me as aggressive, then that's still something I might need to work on and adjust. 
because depending on your audience, I've got a really big personality. I'm a very assertive woman and I work in a lot of male-dominated workplaces. So in that environment where I'm working with a lot of aggressive people, I absolutely own my assertiveness and it is never questioned. If I go into a workplace with a passive audience where these people, they don't have much conflict, they don't debate ideas as freely and there's just a totally different culture and experience in that organisation. If I go in and I might communicate exactly how I did it in my other organisation where that assertiveness and it's, that's how we roll and it's seen as, yep, this is a great thing, I can do that same thing in a different environment and it is perceived a different way. This is why I'm so passionate about this work that I do because there's not an easy answer. The key is we have to get curious. It might be that what you're saying isn't the issue but is your tone of voice and your body language communicating something else? So, sure, sometimes it is pushing back and challenging because maybe it is. Actually, I'm just sharing my opinion here and I'm not criticising you. I'm putting forward an alternate idea and I encourage you to get curious about it. It can be challenging. Are they just not liking the fact I've got an opinion or is there something else going on here? And I think this is the nuance in communication. We have to get curious. I love that. That's, we talk a lot about connecting with curiosity. It reminds me of some work I did when I was at Harvard with Ron Heifetz, Professor Ron Heifetz, and he talked about how absolutely everything fundamentally has to start with the work. When we forget about the work and we stop being curious about the work, that's when the emotional stuff takes over, where how people are feeling or their perception ends up fueling the conversation that actually happens. And that's that risk of that fight or flight, that tension, that conflict is further reinforced so love that Leah that connecting with curiosity that you talk so openly about just before we move on because I know people will be wanting me to ask this passive aggressive piece now I am sure I'd be amazed if there is anyone listening to this that has never come across somebody where they feel like the passive aggressive style of communication is happening what tips have you got if you are at the other end of somebody that where that's their natural communication style how do you recommend that you approach that from a communication perspective to essentially enable you to meet and move the conversation forward versus it becoming a self-perpetuating conflict challenge yeah and Again, there's no silver bullet, but I'm going to share some ideas here. And the first thing I'm going to encourage listeners to do is try to get an understanding of whether this person is falling into passive-aggressive communication as a manipulation tactic or are they falling into it because they don't have the skills to communicate effectively because it can look the same, someone clearly is upset maybe they're stomping around giving you the silent treatment when you ask what's wrong they say nothing's wrong and you're like I'm sure there's something wrong here because yes it can be that deliberate manipulation power play piece going on which we see in a lot of workplaces I've got to say and personal relationships but sometimes it might be that person doesn't have the skills to speak up or they may be intimidated by you. So one of the first things I encourage leaders to do is reflect on how am I communicating? Am I creating an environment where it is safe for that person to speak up? Because I have worked with leaders before who say, I don't know why everyone's falling into passive aggressive around me. It's so frustrating. But then you find that one person gets brave and tries to raise a concern with that leader and the leader just shuts them down and bats it away and dismisses it and then wonders why people fall into passive-aggressive and actually it's because people aren't comfortable coming to you. So creating an environment where people feel they can share without you biting their head off is really crucial here. But let's say... Someone has been giving me the silent treatment and I want to get to the bottom of it because it's impacting my ability to do work. What I would try to do is have a conversation with that person and I'd start off again with curiosity, which is challenging when someone's being passive aggressive because what you want to say to them 
is what's wrong with you? <laughs> Clearly I've done something to upset you. What's the problem? And if you attack a passive-aggressive person like that, they will just double down. Nothing's wrong. If you think there's a problem, that's your problem, not mine. So what I encourage you to do first and foremost is not get sucked in and that's easier said than done because nothing sucks you in like a passive-aggressive person. But start with what you're noticing and make it about the behaviour, not the person. So, hey, Janine, I wanted to check in with you because I've noticed over the last couple of days that you seem to be a bit quieter around me and I wanted to touch base on that. Is everything okay? And I want to start with a broad question like that because sometimes people are falling into passive-aggressive and you're assuming it's about you or something that's gone on at work and it might be that their dog died yesterday morning and they're holding it together and it's actually not about you and by asking the question they open up that things aren't okay. But if they say, I'm fine, <laughs> that's where you might again repeat back and say okay so I appreciate you saying that you're fine but what I've noticed is this and I make it about the behavior it's much harder to argue with the fact of the behavior than me just saying oh are you upset with me what's wrong if they again double down and say no I'm fine what I would then say is something like look, I appreciate you're telling me that you're fine, but your behaviour is suggesting something else. I want to let you know that if I have done something to upset you, I'm really happy to have a conversation about that, but I can't address it if I'm unsure of what the issue is. So again, you're explaining the why to them of why is it in their benefit to share with you what's going on. If they double down again, and I have seen this, you know, someone again doubles down, no, I'm fine. If you think there's a problem, that's your problem. That's where I might talk about the impact it's having. So I might say something like, okay, so if you're saying there's nothing wrong, then my expectation is we leave this conversation and we're able to work together effectively. If I've got a question, you'll answer it and vice versa. If they still stick to their guns of passive aggressive, I would say something like, Look, not answering my questions is having an ability on my, is having an impact, sorry, on my ability to do my job. This is where a little technique I use called escalate with notice comes in. It's where I'm going to tell you what my next step will be if your behaviour doesn't change. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm going to put the ball in your court. So I might say, so Janine, after this conversation, I'm going to walk away and assume that we're good. If there's nothing you wanted to raise with me that we'll be able to communicate and if I've got a question, you'll answer it, that would be great. If it doesn't change, because not answering my questions is impacting my ability to do my job, if this continues, it is something I'm going to have to raise with the team leader. Now, that's not what I want to do. I hope we can work this out between ourselves but it is impacting my ability to do my job, so I will have to raise it if nothing happens. Now, I know some listeners will be listening to this going, oh, my God, I couldn't say that. That's terrifying. This is obviously only if it's really escalated and it's at that serious point. If you say something like that, if you have to escalate with notice, what I suggest is when that conversation is finished, that you make sure that you then go and let your leader know or whoever it is know what has just happened. So I might say, you know, hey, such and such, I've just had a conversation with Janine because we've just had a few challenges in our relationship. I let her know this and just cover your bum because what I do know about passive-aggressive is when it is manipulative, if you don't cover your bum and go and let someone else know, that passive-aggressive person will spin a whole different narrative and they'll go out and say, Janine was, or Leah was bullying me or whatever it might be. So it's hard, but don't get sucked in and make it about the behaviour, not the person, and ask questions. 
Oh, there's so much in that. That's just awesome, Leah. And you talk a bit about that in that Soft is a New Heart. So I'll make sure I put the link for that in the show notes. Is it because I'm curious now, I want to move on to Steer Through the Storm, which is the second book, which isn't yet out. I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to read an early draft and I'm super excited for that book to come out because I think there's such a need for what you write about in there. Can you share with our audience why you felt this drive to write Steer Through the Storm right now? What is the need for the book, do you see? Yeah, I actually had the idea for this book. Soft is a New Hard came out early 2019 and it was pretty much straight after that that I had the idea for Steer Through the Storm. Now, Steer Through the Storm, the subhead is how to communicate and lead courageously through change. So it's a book for those leaders who find themselves having to lead their people through change but it's not about managing the change. It's leading through a change that you might not have come up with the idea for the change. It might not be your change. You might not even like it. It's happening whether you're on board or not and you have to lead your people through. And really the impetus for that is the region I live in here in Gippsland, we have most of the coal fire power stations that power the state of Victoria. And as we all know, as the climate is changing and we're moving towards clean technology, our power stations and mines in our region are closing. And we've already seen what happens with a big change in an industry in our region. We saw the privatisation of the electricity industry in the 1990s and it devastated the region. We had one of our power stations and mines close just before 2019. I think I can't remember the exact year, but it wasn't that long before then. And our other stations and mines have dates for closure too. So a lot of the clients that I work with, they are leaders who are now grappling with uncertainty. They're leading people through change. No one knows what's going on. The government's making decisions. And these leaders have never been equipped with the skills to help support their people, people who might be angry, resistant, scared, and they're scared themselves, the leaders. How do they help lead people through it? Now, I had that idea and then COVID hit which was change and uncertainty on a level far in excess of what I originally was driven to write the book for, which was this change in the power industry. So then at a global scale, I was watching leaders worldwide at, you know, not just the leaders of countries, but leaders within organisations who suddenly, whether it was vaccine mandates or are you working from home or are you working and, you know, no one knew what was going on. People were panicking. Everyone's coping in different ways. Again, so many leaders did not have the skills to lead their people through. Now, I get that it was a pandemic. No one knew what they were doing or had been through something like that before. But leaders with the basic skills on how to communicate, connect with their people, support them through and deal with the feeling were able to help their people get through those years of COVID in better shape than those leaders who either dug down and went into steamroller mode, command and control, just get on with it, pretend it's not affecting you, we've just got to get the job done, or leaders who did the opposite and shirked their responsibilities, put their head in the sand, hands off the wheel, everyone sink or swim, you're in it for yourselves, and did no steering at all. So I wanted to write a book that gives leaders at whatever level the practical skills to look after their people better but also look after themselves during uncertain and changing times which everyone's going through at the moment. Yeah and it's happening globally right I mean you're spot on it's irrespective of industry irrespective of size of business whether you are a mum and papa store or a huge conglomerate the reality is that the recovery as we start experiencing and almost recreating what this world looks like post-COVID is challenging so many of us and not just from that decision-making perspective but for those of us that are having to lead through that change. And I love your point there, Leah, where you said sometimes you might not agree with it but you've still got to 
do what is right at that position or what the overarching decision is to help people navigate through it. Now, in this book, you talk about five C's, I think you call it, the five C's of communication. Can you just share what those five C's are? Yeah, and for people who have read the first book, yes, it's a similar model as well. Some listeners are probably going, oh, hang on. But in the Steer Through the Storm, it's really five concepts. It's actually 10 Cs, but it's five concepts for leading through change, which I think need to be present. And you're spot on. This is not I think the real gap is for leaders who are stuck in the middle, not necessarily the decision makers, but the ones who are told, now you've got to implement this or get your people on board. So the first concept is we need to create clarity. And I know some listeners will be thinking to themselves, but Leah, I don't know what the change is in the middle of a pandemic. Like, how? I don't know what's happening. How can I create clarity? Creating clarity, can you can do that even if you don't know what the change is. Sure, if you know what the change is, it's around communicating the message in a really clear, plain speak way. But in the middle of uncertainty, you can create clarity by sharing with your team how you plan to lead them, asking your team how they want to navigate the change. It can be, and there's a great little four-part framework I often use when creating clarity through times of change, and it's a really simple one that I'll share here because I'm sure it'll help some listeners. The first point is to share what you know. So here's what we know. Number two, here's what we're doing about it. Number three, here's what we don't know. And number four, here's how I'll let you know. And in times of emergency or uncertainty and change, what I see a lot of leaders do is they communicate the first two points. Here's what we know and here's what we're doing about it. And then they think to themselves, oh, geez, I don't I have no idea what we're doing about those other points, so I won't say anything. But you can almost guarantee that those bits that you're not saying is what everyone in your team is talking about. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do about this or what happens if... So I actually suggest go there as the leader and say, I know a lot of you will be wondering, are we going to stay working from home for the next year? The answer is, I don't know. But what I commit to you is that we will keep doing the work to find out how to make this happen. And as soon as we have an answer, we'll communicate that with you. So I'm creating clarity there by sharing with you how I will let you know. There's so much to this, but it's about not getting caught up in the spin and the corporate waffle. How can I explain it simply? And how can I consider my audience and explain the why, what's in it for them, and really be as clear and plain speak as I can. After we've created clarity, it's about connecting with curiosity. So often we just tell people and we say, this is what's happening now go get on with it. And then I've even had leaders say to me, well, why can't they get on with it? I'm not a counsellor or psychologist. I don't do feelings. What do you mean feelings? We have to care about the feelings of our people because we're all emotion-driven beings, whether we like it or not. We're not creatures of logic. We're creatures of emotion. So connect with curiosity is where you ask questions of your people. What would you like to know more about? How would you like to navigate this change? How are you feeling about this? And really, the more intel you can get from your people on how they're feeling, the better you can lead them through. This is actually vital information. So it's the empathy piece as well. It's making sure your people feel seen and heard. And we all want to feel seen and heard. This isn't just some warm, fluffy, nice to do. It's incredible trust building and if you want your people to follow you through change and that's what this is about they need to want to follow you then this connection piece is vital and it's one that a lot of leaders drop off they drop it off because they want to jump straight from creating clarity to our third concept which is challenge with candor even though change is really unsettling we do need to hold our people accountable during change. Yes, we need the empathy piece, the curiosity, the connection, 
but we also need people to keep doing their jobs. So this is where we want to challenge the focus of our people and their mindset. You know, are they spending a whole heap of time worrying about things that they can't control or influence? Are they starting to behave in really poor ways and that's just not okay? Are people snapping at each other and having low tolerance? This can be where we really get to the heart of what does good behaviour look like and I encourage you to involve your teams in this. After Challenge with Candor, we've got to do some coaching with compassion. This is where the one-on-one conversations with your people are important to check in how are they going to help them find their own way through. I have supported leaders at this point with coaching with compassion where the right answer for someone in their team has been to exit the business. And that's not a bad thing. If they realise they're not up for the change, rather than having them resist you the whole way through, sometimes having someone put their hand up and go, you know what, I'm not on board here and I'm going to tap out, that's actually a win. And our last concept, so we've got create clarity, connect with curiosity, challenge with candour, coach with compassion. The last one is commit with consistency. Mm. Communicating through change is not a set and forget, or as one leader said to me a few months ago, but I told them in an email four weeks ago and he thought that was the tick of communicating change. He'd said it once in an email, everyone knew what was going on. If you want to get people on board to follow you through change, you need to keep banging that change drum. You need to keep communicating the message. You need to be consistent in your message, but not just your message, your behaviour. If I'm telling my people that I want them to behave a certain way through the change, you want to make sure that you as the leader are modelling that yourself because people, sure, will listen to the words that come out of your mouth, but if your actions are different to your words, there's that old cliche and it's cliched because it's true, people will believe your actions over your words every time. So you've got to be consistent in how you show up and how you communicate. Love that, Leah. So create clarity, commit with curiosity, challenge with candor, coach with compassion and commit with consistency. Really love that. What do you think really gets in the way of people following that? You said right at the beginning of this conversation that you said this is not rocket science. It's going back to the basics of communication. And at the end of the day, business is and always been about people. Influence is about the relationships. Love how you've codified this and highly recommend steer through the storm. But what, from your perspective, do you see that gets in the way? What really gets in the way for people? Yeah, two key things, and the way I describe it in the book is rather than steering, people either steamroll or they shirk. The steamroller, it really, and there's some, I mean, there's a whole history lesson in this, but it really comes off the back of the Industrial Revolution and the rise of capitalism, right? It was for a long time there a command and control style leadership. You just tell people what to do and expect them to do it. And if they don't, out the door, get a new person in. Well, with the skills shortage we've got worldwide at the moment, that's not an option because you lose people and don't lead well, good luck running a business or running an organisation. So people have to want to follow you. But what gets in the way, I think, is a whole heap of leaders who were raised in that command and control style environment, they do just expect people to get the job done. I don't have to do with deal with feelings. Feelings don't belong in the workplace and we're all just robots and I can be very um, directive in my instructions and you just get the job done. Now, like I said, humans are emotion-driven beings. So dealing with the feelings of your people, it's not a fluffy extra. It's not an option. It's not an optional. You need to be able to connect with your people so that they want to follow you through the change. So I think it's a lack of skill and that old school belief in command and control. And it's often leaders who they're not bad people. They just have never been taught the skills. They know how to manage They know how to focus on tasks and getting the job done and setting KPIs, but they don't know how to lead. And leadership's about people. And to lead people and have them follow you, you have to understand people. 
The other thing that holds people back on the opposite end of the scale, same driver though, they don't have the skills, is those leaders who just shirk their responsibility. They're so overwhelmed at the thought of conflict or confrontation of dealing with the change because maybe they're struggling with it themselves that it's almost like an every man and woman for themselves and they stand back they let the senior management deliver the message if you're the middle leader they see it as it's not my change not my responsibility rather than again understanding that leadership is about people and if you are a leader you have if you are a people leader you have a responsibility to support your people through the best way possible. You can't guarantee they come through it well. You can't do that because that's out of your control. But you can influence how your people get through a change by how well you lead them and that's doing the peopling in a much better way. There's so many more questions I'd love to ask. I was curious about the impact that this has generationally. I was talking to a leader literally this morning about the challenges that she's seeing in a big bank here where the realities are so many different generations at work now. It, this communication piece is, is getting even more challenging for some individuals. But the final question I'm going to ask before I do, steer through the storm. When's it coming out? End of June, early July. I'm going to pick that launch date <laughs> in the next week. So we will put the link in or I'll ask people, I'll get your details in a second, Leah, in terms of how to add in there. My final question, though, for today is, you know, it's pretty clear from anyone listening to this that communication is your thing. It's a deep down passion of yours. You've put in years and years and years of research and study into fundamentally creating these frameworks and this thought leadership to help people. What is your overarching wish? When you think about your thought leadership, what is your overarching wish when it comes to communication and why you do the work you do? Great question. My overarching wish is that we do have more effective human relationships with each other because we can actually respectfully ask for what we want and what we need and create that connection. So much conflict is caused by the misunderstanding and being misunderstood, not understanding someone else's style of communication or feeling like your emotional and human needs are being ignored or dismissed. So my overarching wish is that every single one of us, regardless of generation, regardless of gender, can speak up and ask for what we want and need, but crucially also listen to the perspectives of other people. And I just I feel so passionately that, the more we can build relationships and have conversations with different perspectives and debate ideas without just getting into a polarised shouting match, the world's a better place. We have better relationships, but we'll also solve or at least have a chance of solving so many of the problems that are out there. So it all, like I said at the start, all human relationships are underpinned by effective communication. So if we can up our skills in that, we up our relationships in every part of life. Leah, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. As I said, I could keep talking. I've got so many more questions, which I'm going to ask you offline. But for our listeners that would love to find out more about you, connect in with you to maybe ask some questions directly, or even how they can find out how to get your books or work with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, the best way is just to jump onto my website, which is really easy to find. It's leahmethod.com.au and you can find links there. There's a YouTube channel with a whole swag of emails answering questions from people all around the world about their communication challenges. You can watch YouTube videos, listen to radio segments, podcasts, webinars, You can send me your questions. You can see how you work with me. You can buy the books. It's all there in the hub on the website. So I encourage you to go check it out. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, there's so much that you shared there that I know is going to help so many other people. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you and have a great day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I hope you have new ideas on how to step into your own brilliance after listening today. For those of you who don't know, my own brilliance is helping businesswomen embrace their brilliance to achieve greater profits, align with their purpose and create greater impact through their business. I've helped thousands of businesswomen leverage their networks, build rock solid business plans and break through the glass ceiling to become seven figure business owners and beyond. If you're looking to take your business to the next level and have been feeling stuck or are frustrated that it's been taking forever, then shoot me a message today as I'd love to help you. You can email me directly at support at janinegarner.com.au or find me on any of my social media platforms listed in the show notes below. Until next time, have an absolutely fabulous day.